This is Calgary Today with Angela Cocott on News Talk 770 Radio, Calgary's breaking news and conversation station. Good Tuesday afternoon. Ah, you thought I'd probably say good Monday. That's what happens when you have an extended long weekend and you come back feeling like it's Monday. But no, I am on track. It is Tuesday and so nice to have you join me this afternoon. And it's a it's a conversation I've said before. We've had lots in the past and we're going to have lots in the future as we talk about recreational marijuana. I, I was in Toronto for a sister's weekend, had a lot of fun with my sisters. We were down in Kensington Market and it was really interesting. This, this was all medicinal marijuana. There are these cannabis shops that were several in such a small little area. And there's lots of questions about cannabis and the medicinal marijuana, but how our world is going to look once recreational marijuana is legalized in, um, well, they say July 1st of 2018. And time and time again, when we've talked about marijuana, whether it be the legal medicinal marijuana or the future, there is this question about what is the impact it will have on motorists. How will police know that someone who has been smoking marijuana is impaired? And we go back to this that we really don't have a foolproof method. And I've had guests on before saying that, yeah, this is what I use. This is how I can tell. Because right now in the workplace, uh, a lot of companies need to know if their employees are working while impaired. Not necessarily just focusing on cannabis. It could be on um, prescription drugs. It could be on illicit drugs. But I wanted to spend just a bit of time this half hour and starting the conversation off with uh, Nicholas Loverich. He is with the Washington State University Professor Emeritus, and they are currently working on a study and using volunteers to look at developing a marijuana breathalyzer. Professor Loverich, thanks so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. You have to, first of all, tell us, Nicholas, um, the, the basis of your research and how you want to eventually find a, a breath, breathalyzer, rather, that will detect impairment while smoking marijuana. Is that it? Well, this uh, actually, this project began in 2010 before we legalized uh, recreational marijuana in Washington because we already had a problem of impaired driving from uh, drugs. That is, people are not drinking alcohol and getting impaired, but they're taking drugs, maybe maybe prescription medicines, maybe illicit drugs. About half of the time it's uh, cannabis. And then they're, they're stopped by the police for erratic driving, and, uh, and they run a test for alcohol and find that it's not alcohol. So uh, there's a whole group of police officers that started out in uh, LAPD and then became an international organization called uh, DREs, Drug Recognition Experts. These are officers who are called to the scene of uh, suspected impaired driving, and they get special training, uh, several weeks of training, a whole year of actual observation, and then, and then being observed while they do it, assessing people for impairment by any one of seven categories of drugs, cannabis being one of them. So our initial, our initial uh, challenge was law enforcement came to us and said, we have a portable breath test for alcohol, but we don't have anything equivalent to that for impairment by drugs. Do you think you could, you could uh, do something like that and, and detect the presence of drugs in the breath? 
And so we have um, we have a lot of very sensitive instruments that are that use something called ion mobility spectrometry, and that is used to detect explosives in the airports and drugs in international border transfer. And so uh, it does ambient sensing, and so it's taking in air, and it determines the presence of molecules of uh, whatever type, uh, explosive or drug. So the problem is these are big units, and they're not very mobile, and they're not useful for police. And we had a company that works in that type of detection come to Pullman, Washington, and meet with our law enforcement organization, sheriffs and police chiefs, to um, describe the problem, uh, along with the Washington Traffic Safety Commission, to describe the problem of of drug-impaired driving, and that it's a growing problem, and as our population ages and and takes more prescription medicines and still drives uh they're 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 running the risk of uh, impaired driving so we we looked at the science and we found that we can see uh almost all the drugs in breath pretty easily thc is the hardest one it's not like most uh small molecules it's a large molecule and it is a a lipid and it sticks to the surface of your tongue and parts of your mouth, and it's absorbed into the fat, fatty tissue of the body. Uh, most other drugs go directly in the bloodstream after they're vaporized and show up in uh, a lung, uh, a lung blood to air transfer that happens in the lung. But this is a different process for THC. So we, we, once we legalized marijuana, we, we shifted our focus to the hardest to detect drug, which is THC. In five years, we're hoping that every police officer in the U.S. and Canada and elsewhere that needs to worry about uh, drug-impaired driving will have an instrument like the portable breath test that will, that will detect the presence of impairing drugs. In any one year, we had five years of archival data from the state of Washington, uh, thanks to the Washington uh, State Patrol, and we could see cannabis was accounting for uh, 60% of the drug-impaired driving in any year, and that in any one year, 10 drugs would be would be accounting for 98% of all the cases. And the drugs will change year to year, but, but uh, 10 of them will get almost everything. The instrument we're working on uh, will in time be able to detect uh, uh, 20 drugs at the same time, including cannabis. So that's the origin of the of the uh, project. And then we've been working on cannabis very diligently to the point where we have uh, prototype instruments in the lab that work in the lab, and we have to uh, miniaturize them for use in and testing in the field. We hope to be able to do that next summer. This year we're doing calibration studies with volunteers in Pullman, people that come in and do a baseline blood draw and uh, oral fluids and breath tests. And they go off and they consume cannabis and and the taxi brings them back to the hospital and we repeat the process of drawing samples and then they go to the back of the hospital and they, they uh, are subjected to a standard field sobriety test by officers who are trained to do uh, drug detection, not DREs, 
but uh, A-Ride officers, regular officers with 16 hours of special training for uh, cannabis detection. Well, Nicholas, you know... And then uh, they come back... Sorry, Nicholas, I just only have uh, so much time here, but uh, I'm glad you talk about trying to come up with a portable device because even when you talk about those specialized officers, we have shared a number of stories where those officers have been wrong in the field, thinking that, yes, you've smoked marijuana, and the people say, I don't even smoke marijuana. So we know the importance of actually having that science and having it at the roadside. Here's Here's one of the questions that I know I'm going to receive because there's, and you kind of touched on it when it comes to marijuana or thc it stays in a person's system for so long how do you know if you uh, to be able to test someone when they actually had the marijuana and what level of thc would make them impaired whereas with alcohol we have the 0.08 blood alcohol limit here in, in canada yes so how do you do you, do you yeah, have to come uh, up within that uh, a determination as well with THC levels? It's very difficult because there are two types of users. There are occasional users mm-hmm. and there are um, uh, chronic users. And the chronic users can have quite a high level of THC content in their blood and they can still drive perfectly well. Mm -hmm. The people that use it occasionally will peak very quickly and crash very quickly, and and their impairment is very pronounced. So we we have to always collect data on two types of people, occasional users and frequent users. And we know that one standard, five nanograms per milliliter of blood in, in the state of Washington is our per se limit for presumed impairment, but it's not going to hold. There, we've seen many of our volunteers who are uh, uh, daily smokers are perfectly able to pass the standard field sobriety test. If we put them on a simulator, they would drive perfectly well, even though they have quite a bit of THC in their system. So it's two different types of people. And uh, you mentioned workplace uh, situations. This is the same thing. We need an instrument that will detect acute recent exposure. Mm. Uh, we know for most people, uh, by two hours to three hours, the the high is passed uh, for uh, for cannabis, and and so our law reads that you shouldn't drive for two hours after you've smoked, and uh, should probably be three hours, but. But anyway, that's for the occasional user. For the chronic user, uh, it's a whole different standard. They really have to have a lot of THC and uh, to be impaired. Uh, we haven't. We've seen quite a quite a bit of uh, of um, uh, medical marijuana users that have a high tolerance, developed a high tolerance, and so they will have a high CBD. Uh, mixed with the low THC. They don't want to get very high, but they want to get relief for their pain or mm-hmm. insomnia or, or digestive disorders or whatever they're, they're suffering, spasmodic disorders generally. So, you know, it's going to be a lot harder to, uh, to police impairment by cannabis. You know, the officers need a lot of training, but they definitely need a tool yeah. that tells them, yes, somebody recently smoked marijuana and they're driving and they shouldn't be. Nicholas, I've just got to take, or, <laughs> yeah. Nicholas, I've just got go to take a break here because I know you're a wealth of information, but I, I want to get into a little bit more the challenges that your research is going to face, especially when it comes to determining a level of THC 
that is going to be in yeah. someone who is impaired. Nicholas Loverch is my guest, and he is with the Washington State University. 403-974-8255. I know I'm getting a lot of texts, and I definitely will be opening up the phone lines at 3.30. I'm also trying to squeeze in another guest here, but I've got a couple of more questions for Nicholas. I'll do that after this. Professor Nicholas Lovert is with the Washington State University. And as he mentioned, since 2010, that was a couple of years of he- ahead of when uh, Washington State legalized recreational use of marijuana. They began working on some type of device that police could use for roadside checks when it came to uh, sobriety checks for those smoking cannabis, but also a number of other drugs as well. Nicholas, and, and I'm getting lots of questions on this, but um, one person says you do talk though about two types of smoker and you said the the occasional smoker and the longer term smoker so do you think that's also going to have to play in any decision by authorities when it comes to um, determining who is going to be charged with impairment yes so that will be litigated for a long long time uh we have colleagues in colorado also working on this problem so they're doing a study uh, involving both chronic smokers and uh episodic smokers or occasional smokers and they're finding the same thing we're finding that the the um the um um psychodynamics of the of thc's impact is very different for the two types of people the people that smoke a lot and smoke uh, just about all the time they'll have a lot of carboxy thc in their blood so when when blood is taken as evidence it will it will identify people that are um uh, frequent users and and it'll identify people who are infrequent users they won't be storing so much carboxy thc in their blood but the, uh, you know we took 30 years to get to the 0.08 and sometimes 0.05 standard now is being adv- advocated for alcohol and it's going to take as many years for cannabis because it's even more complicated than alcohol we have a lot of of research on alcohol impairment we don't have anywhere near this amount of research on cannabis it's so hard to do research with cannabis because it's a schedule one banned substance and internationally forbidden so uh, labs can't keep it unless they have a special license in the united states we can only get a weed for the lab from the university of mississippi and it's about three percent to six percent thc and what people are smoking now is between 17 and 24 percent TAC. So it's not the same thing that uh, that users are are encountering in in recreational marijuana use. And even with your volunteers, then there you're using controlled cannabis for them just to be able to see how they are reacting to it. No, we're not allowed to purchase. We're because not allowed the, okay. to handle. So mm. they have to go to the store and buy, you know, something that they prefer, and then they tell us exactly. Oh what the labeling is, but the labeling we know is not terribly accurate. We should actually be able to laboratory test everything that is being smoked, but Mm. it's beyond our uh, resources to do that. So they tell us what they smoked. Most of the people that are occasional uh, take our recommendation to use Blue Dream, about 17%, 17 to 20% uh, THC content. 
does this still go back to you're going to have to determine whether someone is under the influence of any kind of drug through that roadside sobriety test, what they're looking for, but then to be conclusive, they've got to come up with some type of system or product that, as you say, a marijuana breathalyzer so that you can be sure that that person is impaired because of marijuana and not something else. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So... So the the uh, acute exposure we call it recent acute exposure. That's what our our instrument will do, and it'll tell us the amount of of uh, THC consumed, as well as the fact uh, that it was consumed recently. We're doing this testing in the in the laboratory in the uh, hospital because we need to know the window of detection. Uh, how long can we see THC in the breath and in the oral fluids and in the bread, in the blood? Nicholas, and so before we I go, have people I, come in. Yeah, I, I want to make sure I get one yes, more question in here. Someone just said, though, I'm curious if this test will indicate if someone has eaten uh, edible marijuana, cannies, or edibles. It would still be, just depends on that level of THC. No, edibles is a completely different oh. <laughs> thing because it goes passes through the liver and it's not the same process as volatilizing THC in smoke. So that's that's uh, that. This will not detect uh, edibles and edibles comes on uh, half an hour to an hour after consumption. So. Um, uh, it's very rare to find in the driving public the use of edibles. The the more common use is uh, smoking because people can get as high as they would like to get, and they can do it quickly, and the and the impact is virtually instantaneous. So, Which is different so than edibles. Still yeah. the vast okay. majority... Yeah, vast majority of uh, driving impairment is from smoking. Well, very interesting, Nicholas. Uh, as I say, we want to see what's happening where it's been legal for a while, just to see how things are going to roll out here in Canada. I appreciate your time. Oh, yeah, very, very happy to do it, and and uh, good luck with uh, with coping with the outcomes. There's a lot of unexpected problems with uh, cannabis legalization, but but it is. Uh, it is doable. Uh, but law enforcement can get there, and we'll get uh, we'll get the technology to help them in, in due course. Good stuff, Nicholas Loverich. He's with uh, Washington State University, a professor emeritus there. Uh, after the break, I've got lots of text to get to. I'll get to your phone calls as well. Four zero three nine seven four eight two five five. And I want to have a quick conversation as well with Keith Fagan. He's with Calgary Four Twenty Cannabis. We're back after this. Calgary Today with Angela Cocott, weekdays at 3 on News Talk 770 Calgary.